the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this comedy podcast for Amnesty International. I'm Jason Manford. On this podcast, Arge Barker, also known as Dave from Flight of the Concords. Hi, I'm Arge Barker, a.k.a. Dave from Flight of the Concords. Susan Kalman, the Pocket Rocket. Every time I walk past a bonsai tree, I think there's going to be a lynching. Some great clips from the Amnesty archive, including a little bit of Sarah Silverman. My niece came out recently as a lesbian. She's seven. Did I mention that? There's a report on some of Amnesty's activities in Edinburgh. Paul McInnes from The Guardian gives us his top five comedy tips so far and Richard Melvin investigates what's been happening in and around the Pleasance Courtyard and we've got some live stand-up recorded exclusively for this podcast. Oh, and before we get going, remember this. Amnesty is involved in comedy because comedy is freedom of expression. Freedom of expression is a human right and Amnesty stands up for human rights. Visit amnesty.org.uk forward slash edfest to find out what you can do. First up, here's a little bit of Eddie Izzard from the Amnesty Archive performing at the Secret Policeman's Ball. I want to talk about uh, God because... um... Well, evolution, it's come back on the cards. Mr. Charles Darwin, who looked a bit like God, which is interesting, and he wrote a book called You're a Fucking Monkey, Mate, and he played around with the title for a while. We're all fucking monkeys, you're a fucking monkey, mate. Get out of my face, you're a fucking monkey. And then he ended up calling it the origin of species and stuff. So that was that, and that is a theory, that's it. And then there's the creationists who moved into the, it's now called intelligent design. Where the fuck did that come from? (laughs) Creationism, remember creationism? If you look at evolution, it is a theory. It has some holes. Evolution, things evolve, we we crawled out of the slime. I agree with that, because who wants to be in slime? You know, at some point. (laughs) Any animal's going, I don't want to be in this fucking slime anymore, I'm going to crawl out of this. And then there are a few holes, we humans laugh, hyenas laugh, no one else. And hyenas seem to laugh at anything. (laughs) Fucking lions killed him, I didn't kill him. (laughs) But evolution, so there's evolution and you've got a few holes in the theory and the creationist people say, you know, there's a theory, there's a few holes there. And I would argue, well, if there's a few holes in your theory, you don't therefore go, Fucking magic! I'm with Arge Barker on the Chesterfield sofas in the Assembly Rooms Club Bar. Your show is called Let Me Do the Talking this year, so what kind of themes are you covering? I I cover, you know, the environment, my personal life, spiders. Have you ever seen the film Arachnophobia? No, no, but I, I have no problem with Iraq. I just don't like spiders. You um, might be quite well known to people listening for your role in The Flight of the Concords. How did that come about? Well, they were just friends that I'd made from touring and traveling. I met them originally in Australia and then later on in New Zealand we hung out a fair bit. And we were just, you know, buddies. We weren't like calling each other on Christmas or anything like that. But then one day I just heard from Jermaine. He said, oh yeah, man, we're uh, putting together a show. We have a part for you if you want to do it. I said, sure. And has that changed your life, being in that show? It's definitely helped. Like, There's so many fans of the show all over the world. It's been good. Where's the strangest place that you've been recognized? Uh, close to 10,000 feet altitude in Colorado. I was snowboarding. And I kid you not, I mean, I had a hood on. I had my nose covered because it was cold up there. And I had sunglasses on. 
there was about two square millimeters of my face showing. And this, this girl came up, are you on Fly of the Concords? I said, how the hell did you know that? And she spotted me somehow. I don't know how she did that. So how did you get into doing stand-up comedy? I mean, what was, where were your first gigs? San Francisco, back in the day. And uh, just, just tried it. I, I did an open mic. I didn't know if I would like it. I didn't know if I'd go back. But as soon as I did it, I had such so much fun, and I, I was already planning on returning next week because it was a once-a-week type of thing. And I think you had to pay $3. Maybe if you brought enough people, you didn't have to pay. But I had $3. Mm-hmm. So that's what it took to uh, start being a stand-up. And I've gotten my $3 back just last year. Finally, broke even. And things are going good. You know, it's all up. It's all profit from here on out, really. You said when you started off in San Francisco, which comedians were your kind of real inspirations? Back then, it was guys that you would necessarily know. You know, Michael Mahan was one of my comedy heroes. He's a local San Francisco guy. He's just so creative and spontaneous. And and more recently, I've really enjoyed the work of like Eddie Azard, Chris Rock, David Attell. I love Louis C.K. He's He's like right at the top of my favorites right now. How would you define your style? Somewhere in between observational and slightly surreal, but not to the point where it's necessarily bizarre. It's usually got its foundations in reality. How are you going to entertain yourself between your shows in Edinburgh? What are you going to do to have a good time? Well, I'm trying to buy a guitar, but I'm in negotiations with the pawn shop on the corner. They want a 135 for it. It's a Yamaha 12-string. It has a beautiful sound, but it's kind of beat up, and it doesn't have a case. So I said, look, I'll give you 100. And they actually went into the back room and like had a meeting, and I, I played it cool. Like I was, you know, started looking at some DVDs or whatever. Act like I didn't really care. And they came back one with 115. Well, so I'm gonna wait a couple of days and go back in there and taunt them. Yeah. And say, oh, it looks like you haven't sold it yet, huh? Anyway, that's a hobby. I love playing guitar. It's fun. I like to play. I wonder who had to pawn their 12 string. Well, you always wonder about that. You know, someone, someone uh, probably needed a little dough real quick. Arj Barker, thank you very much for talking to us. Well, it's our first trip on the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast to the Pleasance Courtyard. And as always, it's going like an absolute fair. There's people handing out flyers, there's musicians playing in the corner, there's lots of children around here this year as well, and there's a giant arc. So I'm going to go and have a little wander around and see who I can find to talk to. Bump into some interesting people in the Pleasant's Courtyard, and I've just bumped into Jeffrey Archer. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? Very well, how are you? Very well indeed, and glad to be in Edinburgh again for the festival, which is always such tremendous fun. I wish I was 18 again. This is a place, place to be when you're 18. Great, well, we're just about to be passed by two large dustbins. There's probably a show going on in one of them. <laughs> yeah, probably. We saw a man standing on his head in a, in a, in a bucket. God knows how he did it, because he had his head in the bucket and his feet in the air. Here's a very talented young actress, Genevieve Swallow. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Richard. Now, what shows are you in this year? Uh, I'm in two shows. I'm in one called Marion Allen's Number One Hobby, uh, which is in the uh, Pleasance Attic at 11.55am. And I'm also in Domestic God I Wonderland, which is at the Pleasance Beside, and it's at 2.45 every day. Here's Stephen K. Amos sneaking around the back of the uh, Pleasance Ground. How are you? I'm very good. I feel wrong, Lurk around the back here it feels really because there's lots of little young companies of lovely little things lurking around and costumes it's very exciting it is very exciting what's your show this year my show is called the best medicine because that's what i think laughter is and uh what i do in the show is i look back at old diaries and pick out moments that were very very traumatic or hurtful at the time i look back on them and i can laugh So 
So, you're an Edinburgh veteran. Has Edinburgh changed since you were last here? Oh, it's, it has. Well, not since I was last here, but I mean, the, gra- the Pleasance is, is looking much better. They've got a lovely new bar around the back of the ground here. They've got a lovely new courtyard bit as well. The funniest thing, we did a joke about the trams last year, and you would have thought a year later something would have happened. No, there's one tram on Princess Street. One tram. And people go on it to read leaflets about what it's going to be like in a few years' time. It's just ridiculous. Most of the tram lines are down, but there's nothing overhead. So you know that nothing's coming for a while, because that's how they move. <laughs> well, this is the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. And as you well know, Amnesty is all about freedom of expression. Um, have you ever said something that's got you into a lot of trouble? Uh, thankfully not, but I did once point to lady in the front row and say, oh, congratulations, when are you due? And she said, what do you mean? That was awkward, because she was not expecting. Um, but I, I, do, so I do a lot of work for Amnesty, actually, because I'm all about freedom of expression and looking out for your fellow man and supporting human rights. Stephen Kamos, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you very much. Hello, my name's Anthony Alderson and I'm the director of The Pleasance. Anthony, thanks a lot for speaking to us. It's a pleasure. So if someone's listening to this and they're coming to Edinburgh for two days, only two days, what should they do? Um, Well, the first thing to do is to get yourself to the Pleasance Courtyard um, and then stand in the middle of the Pleasance Courtyard and stare at the menu boards in front of you, of which there are 25, there are 250 shows. You don't need to go anywhere else. The Pleasance is a festival on its own. Um, In fact, it is the largest um, festival in its own right anywhere on the planet um, with the amount of work that we do. Um, so you don't need to go anywhere and you can stay from 10 o'clock in the morning, you can eat there and you can see any number of different shows from dance to opera to um, to theatre to comedy, children's shows, music, the whole lot. Susan Kalman. I've been constantly seeking Susan, and now I've found you! That's a wonderful link, because that's the name of my show. Constantly Seeking Susan. Ten past eight, underbelly, every night, apart from the 17th. Great, thanks very much for talking to us. No, that's no problem at all, thanks. <laughs> Should we just have a drink now? Yeah, let's just, let's just have a drink. No, no, no. Susan Kalman, how many times have you done the Edinburgh Festival? This is my uh, fourth go. The first year I did a sketch show called The Ugly Kid, and I've done three solo shows after that. This is my third solo show at the festival. Um, and I, I'm hopefully going to enjoy this one a little bit more. I think the more you do it, the less upset you get about the whole experience. If you come and you like it, you like it. If you don't, then I'm very, very sorry. Well, you must be one of the most hotly tipped acts. Does that add a bit of pressure to you, or do you just quite like that? Um, It's strange, because people want to know a little bit more about me, because I've managed to slip under the radar for some time now without anyone asking me any questions about myself, really. I mean, they say, oh, you used to be a lawyer. Yes, you used to be a lawyer. But no one's actually asked me any questions. And now people are interviewing me and asking me questions about myself and, and things, searching, searing questions, like the next question you're going to ask me, which will be the most searching question anyone's ever asked me, Richard. Are you not a lawyer anymore because of the incident? <laughs> no, that was covered up. What do you think about the Edinburgh Festival? Now, I used to come to the Edinburgh Festival when my sister was a student here. And I know this is... A, I used to go out with £5 and see 20 shows. I, I do think it's become more corporate. I think it's more difficult to put a show on and get press coverage. Unless you have PR and an agent. And, and I think sometimes we lose the spirit of the fringe, which is your average comedian just coming up and doing a show about what they want to do it about. Instead of this, do you have enough punchlines? Do you have a theme? Laughing and crying. And instead of just saying, can I just do a show? Have you got six laughs a minute? Yes, exactly. I wanted to call my show this year absolutely no punchlines. 
uh, because I tend to tell stories with no real point to them, but I think they're very funny. But this year, I've actually written some jokes, which is really odd. It's been quite difficult to write jokes, but I've written jokes and everything this year. What? Jokes? Yes! Is there any one of them that would stand in isolation for us? Yeah, I can tell you one. Well, I talk about being paranoid in my show, and I say it's difficult being paranoid and short, because every time I walk past a bonsai tree, I think there's going to be a lynching. (laughs) That's a joke, isn't it? That's a joke. That's a good straight-up joke. That's a joke. That is an actual proper joke. One of the campaigns that Amnesty involved with at the moment is to try and get the Burmese comedian Zarganar released from prison. He was sent to prison for 35 years for criticising the government in Burma just in an interview. And it's pretty extreme. What's the worst thing that's happened to you for something that you've said? Have you ever had any sort of nasty incidents with any hecklers or anything like that? People tend to only heckle me once, I'll be honest. Well, and then you get them. Uh, and then I get them. Yeah, I did a, I get a highlight and someone shouted woof at me. And I just stopped the show and uh, spent five minutes waiting for the man to admit he did it. Channeled my mother, made him explain himself, and um, he was so thoroughly humiliated he left. <laughs> That's good, so it's a moral victory for you. Yeah. Excellent, so what other acts are you looking forward to seeing here this summer? People like Sarah Milliken. I'd love to see Stifler's mom and Caroline Rhea. Oh, yeah. The uh, stand has a lot of very good comics on this year. Uh, Tiffany Stevenson, Susan Murray. So I'll, I'll pop in because they've got a lot of female acts on. The underbelly, Keith Farnan. He's a brilliant comic. I'll go and pop along and see him. I'll just try and see because I'm doing a chat show at 12.55 as well at the caves, which makes oh, things great. very difficult. So who, are you going to be interviewing people? Yeah, 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 I've got a great guest list. We've got Alex Zane and Sarah Milliken and Lady Garden and uh, it's every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 12.55 till 10 past two and it's just a wee chat with literally the best comics on the fringe and I've got mugs and everything. Great. Well, Susan Kalman, thank you so much for talking to us. Richard, it has. It's always been... A, I, I can't tell you the pleasure it's been. I'm with Verity Coyle from Amnesty International. How are you doing? I'm doing really great, thanks. Okay, so what's this today? What's this event? Today we're at um, the Amnesty Urban Art Exhibit and actually in front of me there's a live um, set of six graffiti artists who are depicting a scene from Burma and telling the story of some really courageous students who, back in the 80s, just stood up for democracy. Um, They peacefully protested and the government crushed that uprising, handing out lengthy jail sentences. 2007 we saw monks and students take to the streets again um, and unfortunately the government responded with the same ferocity only this time the sentences were much harsher. I'm here with Wei Nin today and her father is one of those 88 generation students. Um, in 2007 there was an extreme increase in fuel prices and my father and his friends of 88 generation student group they marched down the street and more than 500 people followed them and it led to the Saffron revolution afterwards but the day after after the uh, peaceful protests, uh, my father was arrested and sentenced for 65 years and six months. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, what can they do to get involved? There's loads of ways you can get involved as an individual. So come along to our website and check it out. It's amnesty.org.uk forward slash edfest. It's me, Jason Manford again. Here's a bit of Sarah Silverman recorded at Amnesty's Secret Policeman's Ball. I'm so honoured to be doing something for Amnesty International tonight. I am an amazingly charitable person myself. I am um, very thin-skinned. I'm very sensitive. And uh, like when I see these documentaries with starving children in Africa and they're 
their big bellies and their flies. And these are one and two year old babies, you know, nine months pregnant. And it's heartbreaking. <laughs> and I don't give money because I don't want them to spend it on drugs. <laughs> I'm going to adopt. If I have kids at all, I'll adopt. Probably from China. Um, probably a boy, you know, because I'd, I don't know, somebody told me like the girls there are like useless or something. <sighs> I finally saw the DVD of Brokeback Mountain. I watched it with my boyfriend and it was beautiful. And uh, he had to close his eyes during all the like gay sex scenes, but it's not, he's not homophobic. He just, you know, it's the only way he can come. I'm now with Paul McInnes from The Guardian, who is also one of the judges on the Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Awards. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. The, the thing I would recommend most of all is uh, an app called Ronner and Beverly. Um, they're uh, newcomers to the fringe, but not newcomers in the game. They're well-established uh, California performers, and they have a shtick that's something like Mrs. Merton split in two and turned into two Jewish American matriarchs. So I would definitely recommend them, particularly as an alternative to a lot of the macho laddie comedy that you can find. Uh, secondly, uh, Sammy J, a uh, musical comedian from Australia in his fourth year, I think. Last year we did a show that was a, a, play, a musical play and it was all a bit soppy and sentimental, even though it had a bit of a dark twist. This year he's managed to take both those elements and actually integrate them into an act, which is still silly. He has songs about um, Alf from At Home and Away and Mermaids, but also has a bit of bite. He talks about death, he talks about aging and chance. So I would um, very much recommend him. He's at the underbelly. Well, we actually recorded his show last night, so we're gonna have a clip of that later on in the podcast. Fantastic. I hope it's a good clip. Otherwise, I will look a fool. Uh, thirdly, something a little bit darker, George Rigold. Uh, he's made a, a, a little bit of a name for himself over the last couple of years um, as a taboo breaker. He plays a discredited doctor who's been uh, temporarily uh, struck off. And there are jokes about Harold Shipman in there. He looks a little bit like Harold Shipman and he likes to go around uh, impersonating the good doctor in front of his uh, aged um, uh, patients. So he's a dark one if that's your type of shtick. Another one I'd recommend, Alex Horn. Now, of course, he's an established fringe performer, part of the Mark Watson, Tim Key crowd, and they all have their television show together. And Alex is very accomplished and has his thing, which is essentially um, bizarre challenges that he might be unlikely to complete, matched with lots of uh, PowerPoint presentation. Um, He's always had a good eye for bringing in the audience and interaction and making you feel that you're at a, a, a one-off event. Finally, uh, Maeve Higgins, uh, who is another TV performer, except she does it in Ireland, so we can pretend that she's just a straight-up stand-up. She's mates with Josie Long, which may give you a clue as to her type of material. It's very good fun, though. Um, pretends to be a, a rambling conversationalist, but is actually, you can tell, uh, somebody who's got a real eye for where the punchline's going to come and keeping her material uh, knit, knitted together, even if it looks like it's about to unravel. Paul McInnes from The Guardian, thank you very much for talking to us on the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. 
Hello, this is Mark Watson. You're listening to the Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. And don't forget to come down to the Amnesty International Stand Up For Freedom gig August 19th at Venue 150. Sammy J won Best Show at the 2010 Melbourne Comedy Festival. Here he is recorded especially for this podcast, performing an excerpt from his show, Skinny Man, Modern World. When I was 17, I was sitting on a school bus with my two friends. Um, stay with me, it gets better. Um, bus was moving, for example, and um, and we were having a robust debate over who indeed was the um, the spiciest Spice Girl. Now, I was a firm supporter of Baby Spice, or Emma Bunton, as she was known to her parents, and uh, Justin Monaghetti was more into Jerry Halliwell, having seen the naked black and white photographs of her online, and um, Martin Slack, my other friend, was a firm supporter of Sporty Spice despite us all agreeing that she looked ever so slightly like a horse. And it was, um, we then uh, moved on to the vexed issue of of girl power. You know, what is girl power? Um, How does one attain girl power? Um, Is girl power the exclusive domain of girls? And it was was during this part of the discussion that Martin Slack looked down and realised with with some horror that my, um, my... penis was uh, out of my pants. Now, there was nothing sexual about this, just a regular, flaccid, nonchalant penis, but um, the fact remains it was out of my pants, you know, it was breathing the same air that we were breathing, and um, Martin was shocked by this, and I'll never forget the look on his face, and I still remember what he said. He said, Sammy, why is your dick out? (laughs) And I, um... I held his gaze and I replied, you know, somewhat provocatively, um, what are you talking about? And he, he gestured down towards it and he said, dude, you know, your, your dick is out of your pants. And I said, um, prove it. And so Martin turned to Justin Monaghetti, who was sitting across the aisle about where you are, madam. And um, he said, um, dude, check it out. Sammy's got his dick out. And Martin, uh, Justin rather, looked over and saw my exposed member and just flipped the fuck out. He's like, what what the fuck are you doing? He said, why is your dick out? And he stood up and along with Martin Slack, Justin moved away from me further up the bus and they just started making fun of me, just calling me a freak, you know, and a weirdo and a loser. And... um, I overheard Justin telling Martin that I was exhibiting attention-seeking behaviour because my parents had divorced ten years earlier and so on and so forth. And I just sat on my own at the back of the bus watching their friendship blossom. Because as I learned that day, nothing unites people more than an uninvited wang. That's why it was... um, That's why it was so delicious when uh, ten minutes later, uh, Martin Slack looked down and realised that the entire time he'd been talking to Justin Monaghetti, Justin's penis had also been out of his pants. (laughs) That's right, my friends. 10th of February 2001, Martin Slack had been double-cocked. It was the finest practical joke I'd ever been a part of. There he was, feverishly distancing himself from my penis like it was some sort of leper, all the while perfectly unaware that another penis was closer than he could ever have imagined, looking him straight in the eye as it were. Now look, I can take some credit for the joke, sure, I, I organised the thing, but I think most credit belongs to the penises themselves, or peni, plural, for um, each, each penis performed its role with dignity and professionalism, you know. My penis had been sent out in the front line, bearing the brunt of Martin's initial shock, whereas Justin Monaghetti's penis had played more of a commando role, you know, waiting like a snake in the grass as its, as its owner formed a false bond with Martin. 
therefore making this subsequent betrayal all the more treacherous. It's a great day, great day. Years later, Martin was able to appreciate the genius behind the double cocking, but um, at the time it really fucked him up here. He didn't know who to trust. The Amnesty International Comedy Podcast. Hello, it's me, Jason Manford again. Today's jokes were brought to you by Amnesty International and Article 19 of the Declaration of Human Rights. The one that says we should all be free to express our opinions as we see fit. Use your voice to help free Zaganar, a comedian jailed for 35 years in Burma at www.amnesty.org.uk forward slash edfest. (laughs) 